Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Live Life Liberated podcast. I'm Wendy McConnell. Now, today we're going to be talking with Derek Myron and Jonathan Freeman. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hey, thank you, Wendy. Uh, good to see you. Good to be here. Hello there, Wendy. We're, Hello. we're excited to be here today. Yes. Yeah, so what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about how to build an amazing corporate culture and a rock star team and what all goes into doing that to create that culture and being in professional services. It's cliche, but it's all about you're only as strong as the weakest link and the client relationship, the client experience. And so we're going to be talking about that. I'm going to be uh, interviewing our chief operating officer, Mr. Jonathan Freeman, who's largely responsible for that effort here. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Derek. Good morning. I don't know if I'd say largely, but certainly it's a team effort and glad to be part of the team making it happen. Fantastic. So I think that those that would be this podcast would be most beneficial for this morning are those who are also building fantastic teams. Perhaps that will have some ideas of additional things that they could do, might spawn new ideas for them. But we have a professional services organization servicing ultra high net worth clients. When I say ultra high net worth clients, uh, clients that have uh, net worths north of $10 million and taxable incomes north of a million dollars. And uh, we're 45 people that uh, serve the, the needs of those folks in planning, largely in income tax, wealth transfer planning, and then also investment management and from time to time insurance, whether it be retail insurance or private placement life insurance. Or, those are the three areas of the products that we serve. And we have 45 in, uh, person headcount and growing to, to serve those folks all across the country. So the first challenge is that especially with COVID, which really exasperated that, or really exasperated, which really allowed us to broaden our thinking. We have two-thirds of our folks here in San Diego, Jonathan, and one-third all over the country. And I know you have big plans to get a heck of a lot more people all over the country. What kind of challenges does that cause for keeping and, and growing the culture that we've established here at Central Wealth? Yeah, well, lots of challenges, but for those that don't know about much about the firm and, and us uh, as an organization, next year will be our 10th year of being in business, amazingly enough. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to be part of the team uh, for the last five years. So didn't quite get in at the ground floor, but it felt like we were building a startup when I came on. But I was excited about the market opportunity, the people and what was already clearly a leadership team that was envisioning a future of doing great work uh, for clients. So you asked the question about post-COVID and, and it really opened some doors, not only on the client side, but also more importantly on the talent management side. And so for us, we've been adding uh, new members to the team, uh, both here in San Diego and, and virtually um, all over the United States. And for us, one of the biggest challenges is not only finding the right people, which, you know, when you're in today's, I'll call it corporate environment, people seem to have less stickiness to the organization, especially when you're working from home, can switch employment overnight, trying to create that cohesiveness and, and kind of camaraderie and, and uh, nature within an organization is a big leadership challenge because not everyone's walking the same halls, not everyone's 
um, in the same necessarily the same meetings, but we spent a lot of time trying to address that cohesion in the things that we do and bring people together. But that's just, you know, one aspect because ultimately it is about the culture. And if you're not fostering and thinking about that as leaders almost every day, quickly can get out of, you know, where, where you want it to be. Uh, and it kind of evolves or sometimes degrades. Yeah. So I think you first touched on kind of the Nick Saban uh, mentality. It's first getting, identifying the right people, getting them on the bus, then getting them in the right seat on the bus where they can really be successful. So uh, that's been a pretty difficult proposition over the last several years with how tight the job market's been. So you alluded to that. How, how do you see that going? Is that getting better? What's that, What's the outlook there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously with the economy and, and shifting uh, employment patterns, uh, it's always a challenge because one part, you know, our business model, it's not cookie cutter. We, we actually ask a lot of our people and, uh, you know, hold up high a, a level of quality and excellence that, you know, is, is sometimes for others a stretch. They haven't had that kind of environment. So getting them to accustomed to that working in environment and expectation is something that's it's getting them into the bus and, and I guess, listening to the same tune of music. But for us, finding the people is just as hard because in many cases they they don't really get an idea of what it's like to be on the other side which is why as we go through our talent acquisition process we really try and bring them into the tent and let them experience what it's like as part of the interview it's not just sitting around a table and asking a bunch of questions so that's done a great uh service for us and in, in helping making sure it's a match on both sides of the equation but you know, for us, we put a lot of energy in in broadcasting uh, to our people, or I'll call it our future centurions, on what it is that makes us who we are, and our expectations, the 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 work environment, and things like that. So we produce videos, we produced a vision document, all of these I'll call them pieces of collateral help communicate that. But then there's still the skeptics out there like, is that really true? It sounds too good to be true. Uh, and I'm like, no, come on in. Let's let's show you what it's like. So we often say people are number one asset. And when you're, especially when you're a professional services firm, right? You don't have widgets. You're not putting a product out there. The product is, is the advice. It is the asset management decisions that are made. It's the planning decisions that are made. It's the insurance products selected. But we don't. We don't create any of those things. Those things are third party. It's the advice around that. So lots of people say pe people are our number one asset. How do you or how does our organization demonstrate that people are our number one asset here at Centaur? Yeah, well, that's that's a, a multiple layers to that uh, answer. But I think ultimately people see it in what the management and leadership team do for them uh, in their development and how they manage and work with them day to day. For us, it's that always looking inward to say, what do they need, both from a career development perspective, from a en work environment perspective, from a challenge and growth perspective, because people, the people we want to attract and retain are those that are intellectually curious, they're driven, they want to be the best in the business, and they want to have the opportunity to, to learn those skills from others that they both uh, look up to and, and appreciate from. But then be able to apply that and create value for for their teammates as well as more importantly our clients, and so finding people that that see that, and then looking for the things that really 
demonstrate that they are number one because as leaders we got to you know walk the talk and uh, ultimately that's what they measure us by when they're looking for you know a, pl- a great place to work is really one of the measuring sticks that we look up to is ensuring that we're the employer of choice thank you for that that's super helpful when i think about strategy and i think about the strategy that we have that is fortunately for us when you interview founder-led business owners and c-level executives they are significantly underserved and especially when it comes to income tax planning and wealth transfer planning by a broad measure of lots of different folks that have done different surveys and it's fantastic for us fantastic strategy to go solve those needs but we know that culture will eat strategy every single day so even though there's a wide blue ocean of who we're going to go serve and it's wide open to go do those things how do we maintain that we have the right culture here in supporting our people so that this is the the preferred place to work? How, how, do, how do you do that? Yeah. Well, you know, culture is one of those things that's so hard to describe. You know, common definition is a, a shared sense of values and beliefs and behaviors in an organization. But I think uh, Luke Gerstner said it one of the best in terms of, for those that don't know, chairman of IBM. But culture isn't just one aspect of the game. It is the game. In the end, an organization is nothing more than the collective capacity of its people to create value. And ultimately for us, we look at every relationship, whether it's amongst our own, I'll call it internal teammates, or with our professionals that we work with on the outside, and most importantly with our clients, we got to create value, make it a one plus one equals four kind of situation. And so for us, creating that culture where we feed each other uh, in terms of helping and support others when they have challenges or have a problem to solve. It's very much a cohesive, you know, I like to use the word servant leadership, but everyone in the organization is willing to chip in and and help out. We, we had this exercise that we did as an organization with one of our business coaches uh, several years ago, and it was a game that we did as an organization. Um, I don't know if you remember this when we were up in uh, Santa Barbara doing it, but the key learning in this game is that as a group, if we work together and everyone takes the the silos out and they focus on the problem, ultimately that team can solve amazing problems. And that's how we look at it today when we're working as a group. It doesn't matter what department you're in or what your function is. If we can come together and solve problems, it's we have such an amazing future ahead and so building that culture comes from experiences experiential learning and bringing people into it and seeing it because once they've had that opportunity they then replicate that and they come together and, and can feed off of that kind of culture that we built which is is ultimately makes the burden on our leadership shoulders a lot less but ultimately they're they're kind of energized by that yeah i think we coined a verb we did there after the name of that game and we said let's fresh biz this anytime we have an issue hey let's get the team together let's fresh biz this so yeah fantastic group exercise probably the best group exercise but a size i've ever been a part of and it's really less uh left its fingerprints on the organization Talk to us about Waffle Wednesday. What's that all about? Waffle Wednesday. (laughs) Uh, It's a big marketing misnomer. I'll start with that. 
but uh you know part of and this is something i can't take any credit for it was it waffle wednesdays existed before i i came here but uh, i think it's a great example of some of the things that we do to build and maintain culture um being in this environment where we both have virtual but then you know massive people in in our headquarters office it's a matter of bringing people together uh, and and allowing them to uh, you know engage in a in a more social I'll call it low key setting. But there's something about eating and breaking bread together that opens people up, and they talk about things that they don't normally talk about when you're sitting. So you buy food and bring it in, and oh, not quite, not quite. No, this is where servant leadership really comes into play, because all of our partners are actually uh, the ones that are making breakfast. And sometimes it's waffles, not those are a little bit harder to get out on time. But it's really about really the, the the leaders of the organization serving the people that ultimately count on us to make good decisions and and bring in uh, new business, but have them be our uh, the people that we're trying to uh, support. And in doing so, conversations just come out that you know it's just it's energizing. It it brings you together from the the I'll call it people just in the door that came in for the first time all the way through people that have been here, you know, seven, eight, you know, almost 10 years, uh, always, you know, come in and share stories and, and both fun and sad. And it's really about being human, but that element is really what makes, you know, part of our culture. So vibrant is that, uh, we're kind of like a family, you know, and, and people love that when it comes to, uh, working with their peers and, and working together. Yeah, I would say not kind of. I'd say we are a big family, and I think it's a great way to start Wednesday mornings <laughs> that you come in and you're hanging out with your colleagues and having some breakfast and sharing whatever's going on in your life. I I think that's one aspect. I think the other aspect, as we're growing team members and we bring new people in, you want to see what the organization's like. You know, it's not put on. You come in, you get in the middle of this. Like, really, this is what happens here. Boy, I think. I know other organizations that have had offices contiguous to us. Don't tell anybody. We cook bacon every Wednesday. Yeah, and the whole bacon. office building knows. <laughs> Everyone's <cook> jealous. <laughs> we have not had a fire marshal show up in eight years of doing this, but uh, the whole off the whole building knows we're cooking bacon. So, but it's a great example of of how to continue to grow and build the culture of the organization. More difficult for the people. We're not sending breakfast to people that are living all over the country. We do other things about that. What about uh, additional events and stuff that we do here? What are the other things that kind of add to the culture? Yeah, I think post-COVID, we recognize that we are truly a hybrid organization. And so uh, outside of our regular routine you know, meetings that we put on on a weekly basis, it, part of our HR and growth and development team puts on virtual events that are sometimes fun, sometimes educational or learning, uh, but it does bring everyone together to kind of have that at least once a quarter touch point where it's it's not just about the business. But I think the one thing that I mentioned earlier that has been highly beneficial uh, is really uh, a monthly session that we put on with our business coach. Uh, his name is Mitch Simon of the Simon Leadership Alliance. A little plug there. But Mitch has seen us uh, yeah, Mitch. <laughs> over the years. And, you know, we, we really embraced it during COVID because that really was a way to keep the team together and share challenges and, and you know, all the things, all the personal side of, of having to live through a, you know, the, hybrid work environment. Yeah, exactly. But now it's, it's used as a tool to bring in concepts and tools that really allow us to work better as human beings. Ultimately, 
we communicate through this thing called the English language. And so often teams uh, fall down or fall apart because they don't communicate well. Humans don't like conflict. Humans can't really articulate in many cases, or they hear someone on the other end, hears the completely different answer to what or what, they were, what someone was saying. So Mitch is, gives us these little nuggets, these little things that trickle in and become part of our cultural DNA. Uh, like I think it's a vernacular of how we communicate here. Yeah. Largely. Yeah. Right. It's a language yeah. Yeah, that we've, you know, trained people once they come on to try and make sure they understand, you know, something that we call a condition of satisfaction. Well, I think that even ahead of the condition of satisfaction, the definition of a promise, like we had a hard time, like, what's a promise? Like what? And okay. I, I have an ask. Okay. Did Jonathan with conditions of satisfaction. So Jonathan, when can you have this ABC done? And for me, as the recipient, I have to be clear on, well, maybe I need to ask more clarifying questions of what the what he's really asking. Is it uh, clear in my head? Maybe I have to repeat it back. When does he want it? He didn't. He asked when I can have it done, but is it a priority? I don't even know if it's more important than everything else on my plate. So part of this exchange and clarity around COS, the condition of satisfaction, is getting both sides clear and made made clear as to what's being asked. And so that ultimately we don't break our promises because mm-hmm. Derek started off this whole podcast with building a team is only as good as your weakest link. If people aren't managing their promises, then we have weak links all over. And so for us, teaching and training people not only to communicate well, but then manage those promises is ultimately what makes us a high performance team. And so giving people those tools to then both try it out and have it become part of who they are is really something that is part of our become part of our culture. Yeah, and I think that, you know, teaching people there's four acceptable answers to any promise, right? You can say yes, you could say no, you can promise to promise, or you can renegotiate. Those are the four answers. Getting people just to get that like, okay, I don't I, I don't have to say yes to everything. I can say, listen, I promise to get back to you by five o'clock. That's a promise to promise. Or I need to renegotiate, but really slowing down the communication, getting this learning that we are all about promises with four acceptable answers. And once you've made that promise, now let's talk about, gosh, when, if I'm not going to be able to hold up my promise, what do I got to do to be a good promise keeper around here? Yeah. We like to say that we we want no one to have daylight in the say do gap. What does that mean? Daylight in the say do gap. I don't know what that means. You don't know what that means? Well, basically, if you say something, you deliver on what and you do it. So there is no gap between that. Between the say and the do. The say and the do. Let's have no daylight. Let's have it like under the bed dock. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so for us, uh, it does come down to managing those 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 requests, right? The promises promises that you make. And it's the first point where you realize that I'm not going to be able to deliver when it was asked that you then go back and either renegotiate or communicate that I need to adjust. And that adjustment might be dropping other things that you're working on to prioritize this or changing the due date and the schedule, or maybe it's the scope, but that's all part of uh, training people to making sure that they can deliver on because, you know, when you're growing and doubling every year uh, in terms of our organization, that's a lot of growth and that's a lot of things on everyone's plate and we can't get it all done. So it's really about prioritization 
and focus and really focusing on those things that are the most important for us and hitting our, our goals. I think it was two years ago that Mitch had us dissect the book, High Performance Habits. And uh, we went chapter by chapter through that book. Unbel- if you haven't read that book, yeah, Brandon Bouchard, Brandon Bouchard, fantastic, unbelievable number of nuggets there. I, in fact, I should read it again. But we, as an organization, divided up into buddies. We still do. We meet every every month as an entire organization. But uh, two years ago, we tore apart that book and we recorded all those sessions. So new people who come here are required to go through that training through our, we have a system called whale where that's all recorded. And I think that was invaluable as an organization. I think that that really between the, the learnings from Mitch and dissecting that book together, I think the combination of those two things really led to a lot of vernacular around here. And you hear, what was the promise? What was the COS? Did you renegotiate? Absolutely. I mean, you hear that language around here all the time and something you touched on is being able to compassionately confront others. People don't want to do that, Jonathan. Can you believe that? They don't want to do that. It's uncomfortable. (laughs) What do we have here? What's the expectation here at our organization? Yeah, this is something that we put in place again before I I joined, so I can't take credit for it. But we call it the 48-hour rule. And uh, often- 48-hour rule, TikTok. Yeah, what the heck is that all about? Well, um, it basically empowers people. And what it means is that if I have a problem with you and I go start you know, complaining to someone else in the organization, it's their job to tell me, no, you have 48 hours to go sit down with Derek and hash it out and resolve it in a constructive and compassionate way. Don't, don't spread your issues across the organization. And ultimately, whether it's the, you know, someone at the front desk all the way up to the the most senior levels, we hold that same rule, that same accountability for everybody. And ultimately what that does is it breaks down that, that human uh, element of, well, I don't want to confront this, but I'm going to still have it in the back of my head as an issue. It allows people to break through those. It's almost like a therapy session, but breaking through those issues talking, communicating, and resolving it. So ultimately they can move forward and do it in a positive way. So I think there's two other pieces to it. The 48 hours is, Jonathan, you have 48 hours to confront Derek. If you do not, it is your issue lost forever. So you have to decide, is this important to me? It is really important. So that's the first. The second is, especially when people are new here or they don't like confrontation, that they have an amazing first or second experience. So that wow, confidence bill. I got the result I wanted. Maybe I role-played it with my manager first just so I got the first one because, gosh, I freeze up. I can't think of what I really want to say. I don't know. But having that good experience is what we have found. The first time or two gives people confidence. Like, I'm going to be listened to. I'm going to be heard. Okay, what result? Maybe I just want to be heard. I just want to share. This is my pain. Yeah, this is how you offended me. Like, hmm doesn't matter what it is. What we can't do is build lists on each other. <laughs> I mean, we got to leave that. And that is not the way, you know, that's not the way that most Americans operate, right? Most Americans like, just push it down. Don't talk about it. That's Boy, when you're working side by side, doing work together, that would be just an absolute culture killer in our opinion. So yeah, in my 100%, opinion. 100%. So what other things are foundations of high performance teams? What other kind of, what other anecdotal or, or process or 
things that we hold here that you can share to our listening audience? Yeah, well, I mean, some of these are probably uh, for those that are students or studious of the management tools. I think there's another book that we kind of trained on or, or brought into the organization um, a while ago, which was the five dysfunctions of a team and ultimately uh, trained. And for those that don't know, and I highly encourage you to read the book, ultimately teams can't get to a high performance if they don't have a level of trust built out amongst the team. And so there's you know multiple layers to ultimately getting to that point, but it's a foundation of trust. And so if Derek, I can't trust that you're going to get your piece of uh, the job done. I'm going to put all sorts of protective uh, things in place and uh, ultimately become inefficient to getting things done. And so we, we try and work hard to make sure that, hey, if someone you know is falling down, we figure out why that is. Is it because they can't manage their time? Is it because their systems aren't in place to be able to to handle, you know, I'll call it the workload? Maybe they don't have a no hammer. They say yes to everything. Yeah. Right. Those four answers. Like it's always yes. Well, when it's coming from the CEO or someone else, everyone assumes it has to be yes. And it's not a, well, let me tell you what everything else that's a priority and let's see if this is more important or not. And so, yeah, they, they take everything on and they then ultimately start failing or falling down. Uh, which then becomes again a, a break point for the whole organization. So using that those kind of tools to help build and maintain trust is a critical element for our teams, which again work across boundaries, work across geographies. Uh, it really is a true um, team environment. We often ask our uh, people that we're interviewing, "What's the best team you've ever played on?" And whether that's at work or on a sports team. And and what was it about that team that made it so special? Because ultimately, when you come in and you see how the teamwork, you know, there's literally no job that anyone wouldn't step up to and try and help on. That's what really makes, you know, a Super Bowl team or whatever sports analogy you want to draw, what it's like on, you know, in, in our uh, working environment. Yeah. I think that we could go really deep there, but I think the outcomes there, if you really do have a high performance team is if trust is there, all these, there's many elements. We we don't have time to go through the five elements, but in the end, if you've hit all these five elements and your goal now is how do I make Jonathan look good? How do I make so-and-so look good? How do I set them up for success? And that is the energy that drives when you see your teammates succeed, like, oh man, that's just so additive. And when you see teammates fall down, that's it's negative, right? It brings down. So it's uh, dissecting that. Let's have an issue analysis. Let's figure out what happened. What's going on? Is it you don't have good tools to manage your promises and managing your time? What are those things? But I know we're getting in to getting close to the end of our time here today. And uh, I know we've kind of rambled about a lot of different things about building high performance teams. We think it isn't the uh, number one thing. We think it's the only thing to making a very, very successful organization. Leave us with a, leave the listening audience with a final thought here, Jonathan, about building high performance teams. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's, it's a matter of con- looking at uh, the, the players you have. And then oftentimes we have a we make make it a harder decision than it really is to take a player that you have who's out of position and putting him into a better position. And it's a it's something that as managers, as leaders, sometimes we our hearts are, are uh, too often get in the way of doing the right. I'll call it business thing. But 
his experience has showed me, at least in, in my time as a professional, by making those hard decisions and getting people repositioned, they th- they're thankful for it. They're, they're ultimately happier. They're doing the things that they really love to do. And again, depending on the situation, that might be still staying in the company. It might not. But at the end of the day, uh, it's it's holding the organization back and it keeps others from really, uh, I'll call it, seeing and being committed to the purpose of the organization, the cause, the why. And so addressing those issues, getting clear with you know why they're out of position and then working through that, that's the best thing we can do as managers and leaders. And ultimately, we'll get you that you know high performance team you're looking for. Absolutely. I love this topic. I want to thank you for joining us today and thank Mitch Simon for all the work he's done for us. And my name is Derek Myron. You've been listening to Jonathan Freeman and Derek Myron today on the Live Life Liberated podcast. And if you uh, uh, let me throw it over to Wendy. Wendy, before I close out the show, what what do you want to share with us? What did you learn? I want to share that I'll be there on Wednesday for Waffle Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, coming from New Jersey, it might be a little bit of a flight, but it's worth it. (laughs) Well, the next time I'm in California, you can expect me. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. You're welcome. So Jonathan, how can the listening audience get a hold of us? Well, a couple of different ways. Uh, Certainly on the web, uh, you can find our website at www.centrowealth.com. And both of us uh, are easily findable on LinkedIn. If you're using LinkedIn as a tool, uh, or if you like using the old school telephone method, uh, you can call us at uh, our main line at 858-771-9500. So whichever way you prefer, feel free to reach out. We are we love sharing our best practices because we didn't get here overnight. And it's through basically taking those key learnings from other places, other businesses, and applying it. That's ultimately what's made us you know, a company that people enjoy working for and continue to get better every day. All right. That's the close on the Live Life Liberated podcast. If you thank you for attending the show today, and Wendy's going to tell you how you can sign up and uh, get our future shows. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, guys. And thank you for listening today. Please like, follow and share this podcast with your friends. Once you subscribe to the podcast, you will be notified whenever a new one becomes available. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results. 